0: And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. Uh, And uh, probably worth reading, but I guess now it's too late because the the episode has started recording. uh...
1: Well, tell us what you think about uh, Roger Ebert's review of, of this film.
0: Well, I do. I do like referencing Roger Ebert because it does cause hair, Harry to like uh, uh, start shaking. I have no
2: problem with Mister Ebert. Yes,
1: you, you can well. hear his eyelashes just like batting back and forth when you start mentioning Ebert.
0: I do
2: have That's long luxurious eyelashes. Thank you for mentioning Don't that, Jason.
1: Yeah, congratulations. Good for you.
0: Yeah. Well, all right, then I guess I won't. Well, there's some stuff I will bring up from that, but I don't have to right now. I can. Wow, I can't wait. Holy shit. I look forward
1: to hearing it. Yeah, this is going to be a fun movie to talk about, even if it was a strange one to watch. Thank you very much for listening to Try Love, a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trylon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at TryLovePodcast. You can find the Trylon at Trylon.org and Trylon Cinema across all social media. You can buy tickets at Trylon.org. You can join their club, find merch, other cool ways to support them uh as they open back up in accordance with um what the fuck's his name the governor uh tim waltz's orders <laughs> tim. <laughs> restricting removing all restrictions for businesses uh, across minnesota probably not the wisest decision right now despite high vaccination rates in minneapolis um my name is jason uh listen i have an essential or sorry god i've already screwed up this quote i have a sensational record by billy
3: holiday and you can find me on twitter at nintendofus I'm Monsieur Ulodi Narvison, and you can find me on Twitter at Ulodi underscore BH.
2: I'm more of a fan of the Duke, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. Also, my name's Harry. I didn't mention that part. Uh, I'm a big fan of Duke Ellington, Uh, and my name's Harry, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry.
0: You just want to be known as a fan of the Duke. That's right. That's the most important thing to me. Fan of the Duke is your preferred, uh, yeah. Uh, My name is Aaron. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at RB, please. I don't know. Fucking film uh Zoot Alors. Zoot Allures. There you Mur-day. go. Zoot yeah. yeah.
4: Z- mur- mur- Murder. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, Aaron is over there calmly packing his pipe, leaning back in a chair, listening to smooth French jazz. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about the um 1953 Jacques Tati film, uh, Monsieur Hulot's Holiday. We're all going to screw up the French, just get used to it. I apologize to any of our French Canadian or French listeners, but it's Sacre going to Blue, Sacre Blue, indeed, Harry Mackin. Uh, this film, uh, let's see, uh, Les Vacances de Monsieur Hulot, or as I like to call it, uh, Oncle Origins Hulot uh, from 1953. It's part of the series that they have on um, Jacques Tati's films playing at the Trilon. You can get tickets to this one coming up this uh, coming weekend, along with, I think it's Jour de Fête playing uh, simultaneously. But uh, Aaron wants to tell us a little bit about what it's about. Uh, and I'm probably going to pipe in some smooth jazz while you're talking, just, just sure. for a forewarning.
0: Yes, uh, film at the, the Trilon, uh, part of a series designed not only to, uh, you know, show off the works of uh, Jacques Tati, but also designed to torture the person who has to make the summaries for these films and pronounce these actors' names. I just I just don't know it. Fortunately for this one, not too many actors that are relevant here. Uh, this is the second full-length film of Tati's, and the first of his films to involve the character of Mansour Hulot. If you didn't listen to uh, our My Uncle episode... Uh, I guess go watch the film, go do it. Um, that was the last film we talked about. Um, unlike uh, that film, Mansoor Hulot's Holiday is entirely in black and white. After this, uh, he would uh, uh, Tati would switch to using color in his films. Um, the film is relatively free of any sort of kind of formal plot, uh, mainly centers around the character of Mansoor Lo played uh, as per usual and in the future by the man himself, Jacques Tati, uh, as he vacations at a seaside resort. Uh, during his vacation, he... Uh, He learns to paint, he crashes a funeral, he violently assaults another man, he seduces a beautiful young woman, played by Natalie Pascoud, or Nathalie Pascoud, I don't know. Uh, He also becomes the single best tennis player in the entire history of the sport. Uh, During his stay, he is joined by a Ah, wacky cast of characters... Yeah, Uh, including uh, the veteran who won't stop talking about his time in the service, the man who is eternally cursed to have to answer the phone while on vacation, and the hotel worker who is subject uh, of basically the subject of every single form of abuse and denigration uh, you can think of. Uh, The film was nominated for Best Writing, Story, and Screenplay at the Academy Awards, and was financially successful in France. It is kind of generally considered, uh, along with with, uh, various other films by Tati, to be a foundational work in kind of comedic cinema. Jason, back to
1: you thank you so much, Aaron. Uh, We have slowed the smooth French jazz, but um, I just want to go on record as saying that I was quite pleased by this movie. I watched it this morning. Uh, While I will say that I had a more, I guess, unique, interesting experience watching Mon Oncle and uh, especially with the fellas, I will say that this was, you know, an enjoyable piece. Um, I I feel similarly, I assume, to the rest of the crew per its structure. Um, There's a little story. There's, you know, kind of all bits. Feels like all ideas tied together with no, like, a consistent thread throughout like there was in you know sort of the statements that we feel my uncle was saying go back and listen to our episode about that from last week uh but there's a joy in that i think it is like it is a, a showcase for these fun honestly like some of the uh, set pieces and, and jokes that were being made, physical comedy that was going on, actually had me laughing out loud. I really enjoyed some of this. Um so I won't say that it didn't work. I will say that it was that it does not feel as innovative or as smart or as unique as uh Monocle, but I have more Tati to watch. So we'll see if that's a con-, uh, like a con concurrent, consistent thread. Um I do like what it's doing with the sort of provenance and assumptions of the silent film form and how it's subverting those and uh, I guess making I'm trying to imagine what a person in nineteen fifty three France might have been thinking thinking about, um, you know, the transition of comedy from a purely silent or purely live experience to this, um, you know, which would have happened years before this, but you know, just as a, as an, uh, excuse me, as an expansion or maybe a, a finer point on the form. I'm really interested in talking about that as well. Um, but yeah, uh, thumbs up overall. Uh, it won't be getting the St- Sterling review for me that Mononcle did just because I feel like there's a lot more going on textually and subtextually in Mononcle, but still definitely worth a watch. Um, And I will let Aaron, excuse me, Jesus, I almost tossed it to Aaron. Can you believe it? He's just top of my mind these days. Uh, I'm going to toss to Cody for his thoughts.
3: And you know what? That's totally okay. I I guess if you're listening, fun fact for all y'all, Aaron is actually my middle name. So you're only uh, part way off. Hey, I feel feel like the fellas here. I I probably told that to all you, but in case you haven't. I did it, but you have mentioned it. Yeah, you definitely mentioned it, but I did. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so that's out there now. Um yeah, but but thank you for the <laughs> thank you for the handoff, Jason. I'm very glad we watched this movie uh, not just to see the sort of origins of this character, but also specifically watching it after Monocle offers a, a particular context for the character and for both movies that hit me in a, I guess I'll just say in a certain way, even if I didn't love Monsieur Hulot's ho- uh, holiday nearly as much as I loved mont en uh, it It took a little while for this movie to get going, right? Uh, even though I, I did enjoy kind of the sequences of people just traveling to the resort, uh, you know, just hauling ass upstate or, or whatever. Um, I don't know the structure of that land, uh, but at, I think it was the 28th minute, or or so love finally gave just like a purely slapstick sequence. And I was like, yes, the movie's here. Isn't it great? Um, Not every gag was a hit, but kind of like Jason, there were a few that genuinely made me laugh uh, out loud. Uh, One thing I've started realizing kind of about myself in quarantine is that with these types of comedies that do lean into slapstick, there's a part of me while watching that box at certain, I guess I'll say like character interiorities or specifically the lack thereof. Uh, You know, like like I said, I do value that we watched Monocle first, uh, that quote unquote version of this character who's- You know, Hulo was confounded by his environment. He's clumsy, not necessarily just because he's a clumsy person, but also because he's at odds with his reality in a way nobody else around him can really understand except for him. That made a ton of sense to me. And the fact that he and his environment sort of fed off each other and characterized each other was an element of that movie I did really enjoy. I struggle more with slapsticky characters who kind of stumble through life simply because they're the types of people who stumble through life, you know? Uh, and granted, this is obviously the only the introduction of this, uh, I guess, air quotes again, quote unquote character. And we may see the plotting of this character evolve even more even of more the next few movies. We, we got a little ways to go. But even so, I asked myself a few times while watching, does this uh, hulo even need to be the same hulo that we see in Tati's later movies? Not even to suggest that these movies are all You know, canonical or tie into a Hulot cinematic universe, but just that (laughs) Hulot as a vessel here feels so starkly different from what he's a vessel for in Mon Oncle. And I I guess that weird feeling does actually play into the fact that we watch these in reverse chronological order, uh, and that might feel a bit strange. But all that being said, there are, uh, you know, gags here that poke fun at French society, like with Mon Oncle. none of it really feels like it's punching down. There's very little conflict. There are virtually no stakes, uh, in, I guess, both the movies we covered so far, but especially here, there were a few scenes where you could tell Tati cared a ton about the orchestration of the visual comedy. And that was really nice to see. I could talk for years about what's good and what's bad about that tennis sequence. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Overall, there's less meat on the bone here than with oncle, but also I don't think the film we're discussing today was ever, you know, trying to be as hearty of a meal, you know, definitely a different experience. But one I, I think I still had fun with, uh, and I also have fun with hearing Harry's thoughts. So I will serve it over to him.
2: Well, don't speak too soon, but thank you. And I, um, with spectacularly at your serve, um, and you get 15 love. So congratulations. Spectacular. Aww. Um, I, yeah, I think uh, there's there's a sense in which like I think that this is just a different sensibility than than something I maybe prefer. Um, much to my own chagrin, I'm not a huge silent movie guy. I I struggle with Charlie Chaplin movies and like Buster Keaton movies and stuff. Um, they're difficult for me to pay attention to through faults of my own. Right. And I, I definitely noticed that here, Um, which is, which is interesting because that is a um, it's an interesting juxtaposition to the fact that like, I think I really, really deeply vibe with and appreciate Tati's sort of, um, sensibility and and methodological approach to examining the themes and the themes themselves that he's interested in um i find i found both of his movies now especially um well both of them really um like strikingly uh compassionate and strikingly humanistic and um sort of about the universally human in a way that I found very, um, actually like heartwarming in a, in a weird sense. And, um, in, a, in a way that that is really good at, at generating comedy without punching down, it felt like, um, in, in a way that it, that is very rare, um, especially for the, the films that sort of followed suit in this way. Um, I'm very interested in hearing Cody's thoughts on where, um, Hulot sort of falls on the mr bean spectrum if you will because i think he he came a lot closer to a mr bean type character in this than he did in Mon uncle and that also bothered me um so that'll be fun to talk about um as everybody else was saying i think that i missed or i i don't feel like i really followed big parts of this movie in some ways um it very much felt more like um a series of sketches almost like a tv series to me um or you know a, a very much a, a Buster Keaton um, or Charlie Chaplin type movie where the long set piece comedy routines are the real point of the movie more than any sort of overarching plot. Some of those were very funny to me and some of them felt like they were too constructed or they sort of went on too long and lacked a really punctuated punchline in my opinion. Um, but. Uh, sort of overgridding all of that is the fact that like, I think this is just a spectacular vibe movie. Um, I think it's a movie about what vacations are in a really exciting way um, and in in a very humanistic and even sort of um, subversive way. And maybe we can talk about that a little bit, but um, I, I think that that, capturing a vacation in this way with its sort of cadence and its ups and its downs and ebbs and flows. It's a really natural fit for what Tati is doing with, um, with humans and with labor and with uh, leisure. Um, And so I think that like to, to understand or to see that he understood his character and his ideas so well this early on that he could sort of encapsulate them in this, Um, moment and in this vibe and in this, uh, setting is really, um, it's, it's really impressive, right? Like, I think it, it made me appreciate Mon Uncle even more because it was like, oh, he like completely understands what he's doing and is doing it for a purpose and to a point. And it, it makes the fact that I think he does it in a more realized way in Mon Uncle, even more impressive in my mind, I think. Um, and finally, you know, I think Aaron will probably speak to this, but this has an all time theme. Um, it's called, uh, um, how is the weather in Paris? And it's like this bossa nova, sort of like jazz, like um, very French guitar, beach music, and it just r- rules, man. I just want to vibe out to it all day.
0: Yeah, definitely. I have a lot of thoughts, but uh, main thought is is definitely that just the main theme of this movie is so good. There's there's an intro to this film that is just kind of long shots of the beach and you know a boat tethered to the shore and waves crashing against rocks and it's just this light marimba tune that maybe maybe jason has has put in here but like it's it's like it's delightful it's a it's truly a delightful song it kind of carries the vibe of the whole movie i think really excellent um regarding my other thoughts about the film uh yeah it's definitely slower than my uncle i think um i think that that no, no shots at anybody else here, but I think the decision to watch it separately instead of streaming it together was probably kind of a bad move, I think, for just kind of tracking with the, you know, what there is of the story and whatnot. That's um, not not a dig, but I, I do think there is something really special about watching comedies in a theater or even just with other people over the internet versus alone. Um, I do wonder how kind of my my uh, thoughts about this movie would have been altered if I saw other people kind of being, um, maybe not rolling down the aisles uh, uh, at the comedic bits here, but, but kind of generally, uh, you know, uh, amused and whatnot. Um, but I, I do like this film. I think it's, this film is like, it's, it's kind of a curiosity in a weird way, and it has this kind of very curious nature about everything going on in it, uh, much more so than my uncle, although my uncle does have elements of that. Um, it doesn't feel like as much of a, a cohesive work, maybe, in the same way that my uncle does, uh, as well as I've, I've heard Playtime, although I haven't seen it, but uh, keep... Uh, prepare for that one, I guess. Um, it also doesn't involve as much build-up. Uh, like, like Harry mentioned, it seems to be kind of more of a sequence of uh, comedic and humorous bits. It doesn't feel like there's this driving momentum in the same way that my un- uncle has. Um, so many bits and pieces in that film are set up beforehand, for example. Like, everything in that garden party scene is set up, you know... Many minutes before uh, so that you can see them kind of pay off. Um, that's not really the case here. There are characters that are uniquely written and kind of provide similar humorous beats throughout the film. Uh, for example the veteran character who's always kind of standing up when he's in a car because he, he's like directing the cars like he's in a war essentially um, you know those are uniquely written characters but every scene with him feels uh, generally very independent uh, of the others um, so it, there is a bit of a different vibe here where this feels kind of like a series of vignettes as, a, as opposed to like this cohesive um, narrative um, I also think that if you haven't read it uh, I do think that Roger Ebert's film this re- uh, review of this film is like genuinely very very good uh, one thing that he mentions that in that uh, review view is the lack of facial expressions here um i think that if you take a look at pretty much any comedic like physically comedic actor that that came after tati and it was arguably influenced by him i think that the facial expressions is a way to convey emotion and surprise is something that's like done over and over and over again here that's not really the case Uh, the reactions are generally very very short um, not drawn out. It's it's mostly, you know, uh, Monsieur Hulot doing something wrong, turning around, seeing it, and then just like immediately sprinting off, which does have its own kind of humor to it. Um, but which is just to say that like this this, I can see where a lot of comedic elements were taken from this film, but it feels differently done here. And the overall impression <clears throat> is humorous more than like laugh out loud funny uh, in the same way that even something like my uncle five years later was. Um, so yeah, that's my thoughts.
1: Thank you, Aaron. Um, I don't know if this is the way we really want to go. But like, I mean, we all have thoughts and points. Is the best place to start with this just like our favorite actual bits? I feel like if we don't talk about those up at the top, we're probably going to squash them toward the, the, the best, end. I mean,
0: we can solve this right now. The funniest bit in this entire film is the old man throwing the seashells that his wife is giving him. His wife is picking okay, seashells. That one's pretty of- good. Out of the ocean, handing it to him, and then turning around, and he immediately just throws it over his shoulder, and it happens like four times in a row. It's very good. Very, very good. <laughs> I, that that and the boat I shark, thought- I think, are the two. The boat shark is so
2: good, dude. Boat shark, oh, yes. guys,
1: That's that's the only one that didn't, like, I don't know, it felt like oh, Harry was man. saying some of these feel pretty contrived. Like, that one and the wreath one at the funeral feels just so contrived that it's like, oh, God. <laughs> Oh, the That's my third man. The those, those was like, awesome. I was gonna
2: say those are my two favorites. Yeah, yeah I those, think those that the wreath at the funeral I mean, like, might be my favorite,
1: even by a long shot. Those are really good bits, but like in this movie, for like the tone it had been setting up, I don't know. It felt they felt a little, I don't know, like a bit of a reach. I still enjoyed them. Um, uh, okay, it sounds like this was an okay vein to mine, so I'm going to uh, just share mine. Um, I I will say the probably the the one that got me laughing most that like was legitimately. Uh, A surprise and in a very contemporary way, quite funny was um, it's unfortunately starts out with kind of like a basic, uh, more boring bit. But basically, Hulot is driving two women to the beach or a picnic or wherever the fuck they're going. Uh, He gets a flat tire and needs to change it and he loses control of the car and it sort of careens into somebody's driveway like a private driveway. And along the way, the spare falls off of the side, and it's got, but it brings the horn with it, so it's like honking as it goes. The horn is, uh, you know, hitting the ground and being squished between the tire and the ground. Very, and very it's good as it goes. And the, the passengers in the car don't really notice because they've got a shroud in front of their eyes that is the rest of the car. It's like pretty funny in that respect. But then just like a sudden cut to the homeowner, he's like this rich old uh, man in a wheelchair, and he's like he's hunting in his yard, but. The guy who's his his uh you know servant is just turning him in his chair just blithely not really paying attention and, and the old man is just blasting into the air assuming that what he's hearing is like geese or ducks or whatever he's hunting and I don't know that just had me really because none of those elements were set up before the joke just started happening it caught me really by surprise that was probably my my favorite part of the movie because it felt like it didn't need Hulu to be there for it to be a really, really, really good joke, but it also wouldn't have happened without him. And it was just, it was a pleasant surprise.
3: I, you know, when you started saying that, I thought you were going to mention a different, uh, gag that happened with, uh, like a runaway kind of in- involving his automobile. Mm-hmm. The, the one near the end where, um, Hulo is trying to, He's trying to fix the tire or whatever. There there are two cars that are kind of going down divergent roads. Uh, The one with, uh, and I'm framing this so poorly, the one with the two passengers, the two uh, women passengers, veers off to the right. He's walking in the opposite direction, not realizing that, you know, it's a runaway car situation. And he like waves at them (laughs) as they go. (laughs) And it's and like the framing and that one struck me because it like it's framed differently from most of the rest of the bits, right? Where like, it's it's like an extreme long shot. And this car is driving from like where the camera is down the road, Willow's walking toward us, we see him kind of give the full reactionary like wave. Car drives past, he stops and reacts and then chases them. And then like that's that's the bit. Yeah. That, that that's that, the, that's the same sequence, yeah. different
1: joke in the same sequence, but yeah, just very yes. good. Yes.
3: Yeah, yep, exactly. That and Boat Shark, just like the ridiculousness of the setup, uh, you know, in part contributing to what made Boat Shark so funny for me. I think those those are the two I wrote down or like L O L at Boat Shark, LOL for sure. at Runaway Car React. That's my shorthand.
2: Um, can you describe Boat Shark a little bit?
1: Yeah, I was going to ask one of you to do that because you seem to both be really chuffed by it.
3: <laughs> so, okay, l- let me. So, I'm thinking back. Is it, this is the same boat that he accidentally breaks on land, right? Like he stands up and right, just like, yeah.
2: so, so before he ahead. gets in the water, he does accidentally break it, uh, in half, like upwards, right. So that, so that it folds up onto him. I, I think it's that he doesn't realize that he did that. And so he gets in the water right. with the boat and he starts paddling. And then, uh, once he, once he's out in the, in the water, uh, the boat like folds up on him. Like it ate him. Like it literally comes up around him and all you can see is like his hat or whatever. Right. Um, and he's like, he's trapped inside it. And then like it, it turns or it, it falls downwards so that, um, that it resembles a mouth, right? Like Pac-Man. And then he starts trying to paddle it and, uh, the boat is opening and closing like again, Pac-Man or a shark, uh, going through the water. And as it, as it reaches the shore, um, people run in terror on the beach away from it. It's I thought it was very, very funny. It's,
0: it's like such a weird thing. Like thinking about like the humor in this film, which like, I think Jason, did you describe like that? that scene is like not working for you because it just seems like a bit contrived, right? Like, I think that was the word you used. Yeah, contrived. I mean, like,
1: all the pe- all the pieces are set up, but it just feels like, oh, man, what are the odds that 28 feet out from the shore, yeah. pe- like, that that the paint is going to peel just in a perfect way so that it looks like dangling teeth, and he's going to keep doing it and not get out, and it's <laughs> going to look like the, you know, the teeth are clapping. Like, when I describe it, it's actually a lot funnier than I remember. But, yeah,
4: yeah
0: it, it, it feels weird because, like, th- thinking about, like the the humor here is like we are su- supposed to just like buy in completely to this suspension of disbelief and just like just accept that like this thing that does not look like a shark but is representative of a shark is just being accepted as a shark by everybody on land and i'm i'm thinking about like just i i kind of wish there was more humor that was willing to do that these days like i'm thinking yes. about kind of like the the main str- like uh, I don't know movements or s- streams of of like humor and comedy and films over the past few decades. If I'm thinking of something like, uh, like the Austin Powers films and like the scary movie films and like all of those kind of like uh, vaguely satirical not vaguely, like straight up like parodies often. Um, Those are films that like expect you to buy into the ridiculous, but like the ridiculousness is like completely the point. And then I'm thinking like moving forward a number of years, you get to like Judd Apatow films where like nothing is like that. Everything is entirely serious. And there's like this hyper-realistic dialogue that is moving. It's such a fast pace. And like the humor is like these, these like this very witty kind of flow to the conversation. And I just wish there was more like dumb, stuff that I could just, I could just, ex- like, I'm willing to accept that obviously that is not a shark, but it, it looks like a shark and that's what the bit is. I wish there was more shit like that. I don't know. I just can't see any movie doing stuff like that in that manner today.
3: Yeah, I am very well said and I'm I'm glad that we're, I'm glad that we're latching onto to Bo- Boat Shark because I think, like, that's actually... <sighs> It's not like the best jumping off point, but I I guess to do a few different things at once, uh, in part, Harry responding to um, something you said earlier. And I guess what's something all of us have been talking about with regards to like this movie feeling like a series of vignettes or skits or like these, you know, these gags could have been like they could have been in any setting really. Right. Like this doesn't have to be a movie at uh, you know, taking place at a beach on vacation in order for like, you know, the main character to get cucked or anything, right? Like like Boat, boat Shark is something, it's, it's a bit that felt so, like all the moving pieces to make that work are so native to that environment and the payoff of that as silly and oh, stupid as it point. was- Like the payoff felt better because it felt like it belonged in this movie. uh, At least to me, Um, I I do like Charlie Chaplin. Um, I've seen his like five or so. I think best known films. Um, Like I I would say, my two favorites uh, are the Gold Rush and the Great Dictator, and those are two that are very sort of like reliant upon like the the big overarching bit and like the sub bits, I'm going to stop saying bit, uh, like all those work because they are so tied to their environment, you know? And like, I, again, like main character and environment feeding off of one another. I think Mononcle. To put these in sort of like artificial characters uh characters' categories, I think mon oncle works in a similar way like a lot of these jokes belong because they're so like they so clearly belong to this world whereas i didn 't feel that as much from mon hulot 's holiday uh, you know like those the elements all felt singular they 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 felt one off there was no interconnectedness and right now i'm just saying things that i think a, a lot of other uh, a lot of other folks said i've actually never seen uh, any mr bean movies um so i can't comment uh on on mr bean directly but you know I, I guess as as far if we're placing uh tati and maybe these movies on a sort of spectrum i guess that's sort of where i align it right now like the bits are good but they're just not elevated by like environment and sort of interconnectedness that Mononcle felt, if that mm. makes any sort of sense.
1: Well, one I got to say, like I am slightly aghast to the fact that you've never seen the works of M. Bean. Uh, that yeah, that, I know, man, that, that <laughs> shocks me. But um, but I will say, like, not not to um, you know, try to disprove that or or like counter that, but I feel like this movie actually did, in in though the whole movie didn't have a whole lot of like uh, you know, a, con- a single Driving story or like point it was all and it was barely like plot. It was all just felt like like we've already said it skits. Um, I feel like the continuity uh, between those pieces still works on a weirdly internal level. I'm thinking of like the taffy. Uh, how like he keeps having this anxiety about the taffy oh, touching yeah. the the plate underneath of it and it like comes, comes back two or three times throughout the movie. Uh and it is always used in the same way to get him to either <clears throat> excuse me, to either act or to uh you know hide like he's trying to hide from the horse that's chasing him at one point. Um and he is actually driven out of his hiding place to like pick up the taffy again. And he finally like I don't know. Those those sorts of bits still work for me um throughout. I, I will say they don't feel they're not elevated in the way that uh, mononcles are where, you know, the individual bits serve a larger point and really interact with all of the characters. It really does feel very revolving around Bean in many ways. Um, Which is why I think some of that feeling for me pervades and makes me think of this as a lesser movie is like uh, the core of what I came to understand is uh, Monsieur Hello's, um, comedy is like like Cody so eloquently put it it's like the uh, the environment and the character are feeding off of each other uh which is like the magic of it but I think I saw just a more consistent more um you know less like less Swiss cheese version of that in Mon oncle which in uh, but in this case in the case of holiday it just felt like you know we we're not worried about setting that standard or meeting that expectation because we're introducing a character because we're introducing a concept because we have our French version of, you know, the, uh, the, the benevolent Ophish character. Um, so I, I will say like, I totally agree with your point, but I think that it just didn't strike me the same way as, as a complete negative, um, as, as it may affect the rest of the, of the crew.
2: Um, and I have another alternative reading, right? Which is that I don't, I don't actually disagree that, that, um, the the construction of a lot of these vignettes um, and the, the physical comedy therein, it's not as meticulously crafted with the location in mind. But I think that each of these vignettes and the sort of overarching portraiture of, I don't know why I said it that way, of um, a vacation and of these inhabitants on this vacation, it works for me on a really, like, on a really... Um, constructed thematic level in that like this movie felt to me like it was so um so eloquently capturing the cadence of a vacation and the sort of like strange almost like uh ephemeral semi parasocial and um fleeting relationships that you sort of like um form with people that you vacation with or that you're in mm-hmm, proximity mm-hmm. to on vacation like he, he makes all of these these vague acquaintances that are like they're less than friends but more than acquaintances and like they they are enjoying this shared experience together and kind of getting to know one another through circumstance in a way that really only happens on vacation and I also I think that like like exploring what that means um, through these vignettes where like just like Hulo sort of starts to have like make friends or Acquaintances, we're sort of starting to get to know each of the characters that are inhabiting this space, and also to, to very like light, gently and um, compassionately satirize the idea of. Uh, vacationing versus labor versus sort of like role establishment where like these are people who are taking i believe a vacation class right where like like this was a this was a planned excursion that several people were taking together to this place that's kind of a ridiculous uh premise in the the idea being that like having a structure to a vacation is Anathema to a vacation in the first place, right? So we see that tension uh, replicate itself over and over again, where it's like these are people of very defined social roles, of very defined socioeconomic class roles, of very defined gender roles, um, attempting to take a vacation from those things imperfectly, while at the same time, the idea of vacation being imperfect for people. And there's sort of a Uh, a cyclical or or contradictory notion there where it's like, they are tied to their, um, their own systems or their own roles too much to vacation. But at the same time, those roles are themselves poor fits for people who are actually more naturally chaotic and more naturally um, at leisure. And so like, there's this, there's this doubling of, um, of people being an imperfect, uh, sort of like, um, cast for their role or or for for their um occupancy where like and that 's something that recurred in mon uncle as well right where it 's like there 's this constant battle of people versus systems versus geometry versus um setting right where like like Hulo himself, but also uh crucially, I think all of the characters, and maybe to a lesser extent in this movie, but they 're like they 're perpetually the fly in their own ointment right where like your body, your presence in space is constantly at odds with what you're attempting to accomplish. Just like your personhood is constantly at odds with the role that you're trying to accomplish, which is why, um, the, the funeral scene or uh, the wreath scene, it works for me so well, right? Because that is satirizing the inherent ridiculousness of trying to make humans behave with dignity for any extended period of time and how ridiculous it is that we do that and how ridiculous it is, it is that we, um, that we have to subject ourselves to that. Right. And so like, I think that playing with vacation in that way is, is a really fun way to like to mock sort of the idea of humans needing vacations in the first place or being able to take vacations in the first place. When in fact, like, the idea of a vacation is a structured unstructuredness, right? It's, it's, it's a departure from role into another role for the purposes of escaping from roles, right? So like that, that contradiction within contradiction within contradiction is something that I think this movie very eloquently satirizes without being cruel at any point, right? Instead, it's sort of like it's it's talking about the universal the universality of the idea of those constant contradictions being sort of emblematic or um, summing up the human experience in a way that that really works for me and that's that's what I was getting across when I said that like so much of what Tati is doing on sort of like a thematic symbolic level it just really sings for me right because it's like it's. It's humor about the human condition and about how strange and contradictory it is to be a person. Um, and I, I feel like setting that in a vacation is a really, really funny way to make that work. Um, but I've gone on long enough and you can go now, Aaron. Yeah, I, I think I I agree with with pretty
0: much everything you're saying. I think that particularly the character of the the kind of big buff guy that just constantly (laughs) needs to answer the phone, right? Like he's on a vacation and he cannot do anything for more than like two minutes. He cannot go out into the ocean and like swim around before someone is yelling for him to come pick up the phone, right? Like, is there a more obvious like metaphor for what Tati is, is, is going for here than that? I I don't think so. Um, but, and also I, I, do agree with you that I do, although I think there's maybe some issues uh, with like the structure of the film. I do think that it is yeah. at work. I mean, it just does like, this is representative of a holiday or of a vacation, right? Which is these, these series of kind of relaxing moments that are kind of interdependent uh, completely. Um, I do think that the the movie is going for that and it does work in that manner. I guess my problem if I do have too much of a problem with this film, to be a little frank, is that apart from maybe some of the the great bits that we've talked about, I do think that overall, especially to a film compared to a film like My Uncle, um, I think that the the bits are kind of not as good. Uh, <laughs> frankly, hundred uh, percent is, is a film. Yeah, and I I think maybe that's part of that is just the structure. Like, how do you have all of these these two or three minute long bits and have them. Uh, hit as hard as, like, the the garden party scene, right? Like, I I just don't think you can unless you're really knocking it out of the park. And, like, they do knock it out of the park here quite a bit, um, but there are stretches of time that uh, feel maybe a little more melancholy uh, where there's not as much going on. But I think it still kind of works in that certain manner, right, of, like, representing uh, a holiday. So I can't... I guess I can't knock it too much. Um, So I, I, I think I, like... It's a, it's a film where like I wasn't at every single moment completely entertained with everything that was happening but like I enjoy the general vibe of it I think is is kind of boring as that is to say
2: no that was exactly what I was gonna say it's just that like it's weird right because like I think we were expecting a bigger comedy than this and what we got was like a like a vibe movie. Like this almost felt like a Link Later movie to me, right? <laughs> in a in a weird way, right? Where it's it's like a hangout Actually, movie. Yeah. Where like uh it's a bunch of characters that come to this place and, and we slowly get to know them over time and these funny circumstances that unfold. Um and speaking of the the way that this movie matches up with vacations, it's like it's funny how little some things change, right? Where like every time I've ever gone on a vacation, without, um, fail the, the first or especially the second day I'm there, I have an itinerary in my head and I stress myself out like hell trying to match that itinerary, right. Where it's like, I need to get to this museum or like, I need to make sure that I hit this tour or I need to make sure I get to this restaurant by this time. And I'm more stressed out than I would be on like a work day. And it's like, I think that this is, this movie is a hundred percent about that feeling, right. It's about like all of the hilarious contradictory and, um, if you let them be somewhat shameful notions of vacationing, where like at a, at a certain point every vacation I've ever had i I have stopped and and reflected on the fact that like, wait a minute, I'm not having any fun and I'm not relaxed and like they they're... I ahead. was just gonna say i I am so
0: surprised that you are that kind of a vacationer, like I would have guessed you are absolutely just like just like chill all day and not go to a museum kind of, which is not like attacking your, uh, you know, no, I, I in, wish in
2: I, I wish I was, I think that what historical it is, is that or whatever, but. I I have only ever vacationed with other people and I've always desperately wanted those other people to have a good time. And so I've like, I've like, uh, I've put together this big plan and then I can never live up to the plan. And you're learning a lot about my psychology here, I guess, but that, yeah, yes. and, <laughs>
0: You and Diana, I think, are very similar. Uh, my my partner, uh, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned her name on the podcast, but you are very similar, I think, to her in that manner. And that, like, whenever, uh, I guess, some context for people listening, my, my family is kind of spread around. My parents are in Australia, and my, my two brothers are in other states here in the United States. So maybe every other year we're able to get together for, like, a Christmas or whatever. And it's generally, like, we're in New Orleans for a holiday, and it's just, like, six days of just, like, kind of aimless wandering and just like eating and drinking and then just kind of like, like not even walking, like kind of floating from place to place, you know, like there's really none of the structure that you're talking about. And I think by like the third day, Uh, My my partner kind of uh, hates it. Uh, (laughs) But like, that's just I'm I am I am absolutely Monsieur Lowe taking a holiday where I'm just kind of like, I am absolutely not the itinerary person, although I do enjoy some of that stuff. Um, So I don't know, I just did not peg you as that as that person.
2: Well, thank you on both counts. I like I like to be seen as chill. And I like to be compared to Diana. So uh, that's great. Um, I also I think it's very funny you brought up that like Mr. Mr. Hulot is is like that on holiday because like there's something inherently very funny and ridiculous about that. We're like, this is sort of a, a silly um, introduction to this character. But like, even as of this first episode, you got to wonder what this dude is taking a vacation from right it's like like hello, like what do you have to go on vacation from like you get, you get the overwhelming sense that this is just the person he is all of the time and he sort of brings this vibe with him wherever he goes for better or worse which is kind of the mr bean thing i was talking about um but ultimately like it turns out to be a good thing here right where like the the blonde uh woman um martine she is attracted to him because of that vibe that he represents and to get away from her um Sort of like l- loudmouth, overbearing, uh, overintense uh, Marxist scholar. Which, by the way, felt like Tati fucking like subtweeting us. <laughs> like, I, I was like, "What the hell's going on here? Why did he put me in this fucking movie?" Um, but and so, like, I really like the idea that Huló, even as like in his first appearance. He has come to symbolize this idea of uh, this vibe of like a vacationer so well where he he's like the dude of this movie, right where it's like he's the big lebowski <laughs> where where it's like oh like like whollo is the vacation and he is like he brings it wherever he goes, and it's it's almost like a state of mind, you know
1: for sure um. I had uh, thoughts about uh, sort of like the tradition from which this movie and I guess all of these movies come being the uh, silent film tradition. Uh, sounds like Cody is probably one of the better versed. I won't put you on the spot of any about anything, but maybe some of this will, um, you know, ring bells for you. Uh, the more and more I watched of this movie, it didn't hit me quite as hard when watching mon uncle, but um, the more and more I watched of holiday, the more I realized like the sound in these films is doing an interesting thing of like making me think more about what that scene would have played like as a silent film um and i mean i guess that's not i guess that's not way too like off-base a thing to to wonder but like i like what it's doing with specifically the audience assumptions and like in 1953 france um i guess worldwide later on but uh sort of with the history provenance the assumptions that people had made about uh, silent film and like what sort of b- comedy belongs and what the like pacing of comedy is because it's obviously built there and it, and it owes a lot of its physical comedy to that but um it's like the presence of sound in this in in this movie in particular is kind of like an augmentation of that rather than um you know a like the object of comedy usually like it's not much of a scene setter. Usually it's more diegetic sound, uh, but it's, you know, it's comedy, excuse me, sound is still used for comedy, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, Without being the explicit focus of a scene. It's not like, you know, somebody says something funny. It's not like there is a funny sound coming out of a thing. I'm thinking of like, the babbling speaker at the very beginning, uh, where I, like there aren't even captions in, in <laughs> the about because because you're, you're not supposed to understand what it's about. But like you could imagine in a silent film that probably wouldn't be focused on. Or if it was, you know, you would see the title card of what it says. But that's like that little gray space of we're using a funny sounding voice to communicate <laughs> a funny element of this scene without it being like a focus. Um,
2: or like what if you know, what if the, the title card was just a bunch of letters, just like little.
1: <laughs> well, that's literally the picture that came into my mind when I started hearing that. Was like, what would this? Uh, what would that look like? Like if we removed all sound except like you know non diegetic music, um, I'm thinking of like sputtering spider, engines throughout. You know, it's just like a funny uh, augmentation of the of, of the humor already present in the scene. Um, the honking horn in the scene that I liked so in the joke that I liked so much. Some of those would be jokes and some of them wouldn't in a silent film. But I think they, you know, they, a lot of them would probably work without the sound. But it does enrich them, and it's like. It's not new by this time, by 1953, like we've had talkies for a while, but that tasteful use of sound in comedy, uh, is like effective. I think that it adds a lot to each scene without being, and I guess like, again, that's not a completely new thing to, to have it be funny and have it be, you know, noise, but to play off of an audience, uh, an audience is like, like even mine. I am seeing this movie and thinking, wow, this movie owes a lot to silent film. How do I square that against the fact that I can hear almost every single thing that's going on? Uh, And it just like it scratched a really interesting part of my brain. Like if I'm mapping the silent film experience onto this, it's not quite a clean thing. And yet it's not like they're focusing on sound as like a really funny, really scene setting or scene creating element of it. Like, I don't think there are any explicitly sound focused bits that you have to hear in this movie.
3: Yeah, I I'm with you on like the difficulty of trying to like kind of square that or, or map that experience over. I I I don't know if Tati really I guess just speaking for myself, I don't know if he necessarily from me looking at it has a great understanding of how to frame his character on un- Understanding that sort of silent film mentality, I, I don't know if he has a great handle on that here. But like getting into mon Montoncle, which I'm gonna inevitably keep comparing because they're the only two that I've uh, that we've all seen of his. Right, now. like I, mm-hmm. I think that understanding is much more on display there. And like I'm I'm no expert, but in my mind, you know, as it's been said here, you like it's either a reliance on like facial reactions, like the the emotiveness, you know, because you don't have the sound or anything else. So you, you need to focus on the character's face, um, you know, more either that or like character motion, like the dynamic movement or both ideally. Uh, and I, I think I mentioned in our Mononcle discussion that like a lot of the times the focus is very um, specifically not on character faces. And uh, like, there are, aren't maybe as many close-ups as you might expect. A lot of people are framed from behind, but they're like to kind of counter that and enrich the scenes anyway th- there's a big focus on character movement um and like how they operate within this space there are a lot of long shots a lot of you know it, like weird framing that kind of makes you crane your neck in a certain way so it's like it's showing you exactly what it wants to while also making like kind of training you into thinking like but like what like what is this character feeling what are they doing yeah, over there yeah. th- you feel some of that here it feels a little more inconsistent like the the emotiveness isn't really there the um when Ulo is, um, I guess, like waiting for Martine at her, the place she's staying, the sort of orchestration of that sequence it kind of gets to maybe what we would want to see more of where it's him operating in a space. There are like, he's causing like these paintings to tilt due like due to his actions. There's, there's weird shit going on. And like, that is a scene that worked for me. It wasn't laugh out loud, funny, but I appreciated that. Um, like that construction, I, I think more than uh, I would say a lot of other sequences. And while you were talking about that, Jason, I wasn't like, I had trouble thinking about the ways in which sound enhanced uh, you sequences of this movie, but then you mentioned the car, and like I, I remembered immediately, like starting our, off our movie with Ulo driving it. I don't think we had seen him by this point. We we don't see him until he like arrives at, and steps into the resort. It's like, hey, everybody, I've arrived. But he's driving this loud car, and it's you know, it, it's a contrast to what we've seen. It's very like the texture of that vehicle reminded me of like the motorbike of the Aristocats for some reason. Um, that's like a very <laughs> very miscellaneous notey, but it, it, like it it uh, kind of forecasts the shenanigans to come, right? Like that car is, it's like, it's an extension of Hulot. It's or, and, or kind of its own character. It's loud. It's vibrant. It's got an okey doke sort of expression of its presence. Um, and like, and that car pops up, pops up uh, throughout, you know, chunks of the movie, it kind of bookends. It's a movies. motif
2: for sure. Yeah,
3: exactly. Uh Sorry. Go ahead, Harry.
2: Oh, no, I'm sorry. Um, Yeah, I just wanted to respond to a couple of different things, because I think you both made really great points. And I'm super glad we're talking about sound and music. Um, I was actually surprised that this wasn't like the first sound movie that um, Tati did, right? Which, of course, it isn't, because it's 1957 or whatever. But um, because to me, it felt almost like... Uh, it was using sound in the same way that that something like Mon Uncle or something like uh, Ozu's Good Morning was using color where it's like it was so distinctive to me and so pointed its use of sound that it was like he was discovering it and trying trying it on for size. Right. Or like uh, this is a really dumb reference to make, but I am who I am. But like it's like in Final Fantasy 7, how like that's the oh, first 3D one and like every single shot you can see the like the developers like their minds breaking open with the possibilities and so that's why that that uh game is so like unbelievably well framed and stylishly um put together is because like you could tell they were just having the time of their lives with it um because like there are there is the 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 one point where at, at several different junctures through this movie, to make thematic points, music is disruptive. Specifically, right where like someone will put on a record and it will disrupt the uh, the sort of um, programmatic uh, goings on of the the people of the vacationers as they try to go about their days, as they try to follow their itineraries. Um, Later on, uh, there's a there's a speech being given by a French politician that is interrupted by loud music that Hulot himself puts on, and it's the main theme of the movie. Uh, the main theme of the movie itself is often diegetic; it's often playing on records or other players. Um, most a lot of the music in this uh, movie is diegetic, and um, one of the most pivotal scenes where uh, the the character the um, the blonde character, uh, Martine finally sort of like completes her character arc. She's dancing with Hulot and they're both dressed ridiculously. Right. And everybody's sort of staring at them, but they're having a great time. That's set to music too. So like there is a thematic through line about the ways that music itself or like sound itself can disrupt and can sort of, um, uh, deconstruct or, or break us out of our, um, our routines or our sort of like our own internal sort of thought processes. There's something sort of like interrupting in a good way about it, which is so it it ties in so closely to this idea that that's, there's something to that about humans in general. Right. Is that like, I, and, and that's something that really works for me because, like, for whatever reason, uh, increasingly, I'm all about this idea that, like, that humans are sort of inherently an awkward fit for their environments. Like, that consciousness itself is sort of a, a strange quirk of evolution, right? Not to get too head ass about it, but like, so there's this idea that, like, like what humans are above all else are awkward and out of place and strange because they're not a part of the pattern, right? Like everything else is part of nature's design, except for us as we sort of stumble and fall through it. But that is actually what is exciting and and fun and um, redeeming about people, not just what is scary about them. And I feel like this is a movie that's really like about thinking about vacations and thinking about the the break that they represent from the routine and from the pattern and from the the role play um and and how that is an opportunity to rediscover that that the dysfunction of mankind or what have you is actually something that is that is so worthwhile and so exciting and so um redeeming and i feel like Hulot sort of encapsulates that spirit and i feel like um all of tati's movies that i've seen so far at least um really do a good job of representing that and um i feel like like the sound really did that for me in this movie and i i i'm, I'm like you guys i'm sort of struggling to come up with like really discrete examples outside of the music and outside of the, the car horn um, because there, there aren't like non-diegetic sound effects. Right. But I think that's kind of part of the point. Um, right. Right. And, and yes, yeah, so go, go ahead, Jason.
1: Oh, no, I was just going to say the uh, like, I'm thinking you, you used the, you didn't ter- use this term, but I think you were communicating the idea that uh, Hulo is sort of like a, a he's a break from the, um, you know, the strangeness of being human of, or rather maybe like a focus on it where. Um,
2: like a reminder. Yeah, exactly. They, yeah. They're,
1: they're, they're a strange fit for their environment. Like you said. um, And in like the scene that I think of, when I think of that concept is the tennis scene, Uh, and I don't know if Cody actually has thoughts around that, or if that was just a joke off the top, but I would love to hear your thoughts. How, uh, I mean, I've
3: got so many thoughts, but you (laughs) go ahead.
1: Just, just to set it up. Uh, he learns how to play tennis, uh, to be able to play it with, um, with the, the girl he's got a crush on and the tennis, um, the, the woman who's strung his racket, uh, is showing him and she shows him like this jab and then overhead smash move uh that's supposed to be like a serve and he does it every time and he just is and it's just a a, a barn burner like no man's unbeatable. He is unbeatable. He's got a like 30 and 0 record at this tennis court. Um and but like everybody is flabbergasted. Nobody understands why he's doing so well. And he sort of does that motion later on. I think it's like with a with a fishing pole or something like that. He like it becomes a little bit part of, bit of part bit of a part of his character. But um I just love how in that moment I think that's really putting the nail, excuse me, hitting the nail on the head of that, like showing, yes. like I, I assume that there's a form that everybody had been using to play tennis and you know, you win, you lose, you define your skills and stuff. And he is taught, or maybe helps develop like this crazy new way of doing the thing that breaks them out of their understanding of it. The only scene that we didn't get out of that is like seeing then everybody else doing that style of serve, which would have been pretty funny, I think. But I think it's like, I don't don't know if they had time. Maybe that's in the extended cut that we didn't get to see.
2: That's so well characterized, Jason, because like it doesn't, it undermines the entire effort, right? Like the it, it reveals how ridiculous the whole concept of tennis and being good at tennis is because it's like, hey. you're, telling, you're telling me this guy can come along and uh, and just like completely break up the game just like this, just by doing this ridiculous thing. That's not tennis. And it's like, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all, it's all a stupid made up thing. No offense. Sorry, Cody, go ahead.
3: No, you're right. And I, I guess maybe to paint this picture for people who, uh, I guess don't give a shit about sports, which uh, I envy you. <laughs> um, but like tennis is one of the few, at least at like the high school level, you know, it, it, like athletics. It's like if you're in high school, for example, like it, the high school teams, you know, the varsity team picks from grades nine through 12. Usually it's just like upperclassmen because that's a type of sport. And like basketball and baseball as well. Those are t- sports where, you know, like, you have to develop muscle and certain coordination in order to excel in those sports with tennis like my first year on the team like i was uh an eighth grader there was a seventh grader on the team uh who was like the second best person on the team and he went on to be like our our best player you know like phenoms can come in Like it's a lot about, it's more about technique and like feel and like you like muscle obviously plays a big part, but you can kind of develop that later and like still be great or rather get better. So tennis is kind of like a ridiculous, uh, sport in that way and many other ways. Um, yeah, like a lot of scattered thoughts. I will, I will try to keep these like organized, but yeah, I guess I was curious about, hulo's um background with tennis because i guess i could not remember if he brought a tennis racket with him or if he brought it from somewhere else that's like a big indicator for he me buys of like, it. He, buys he buys it, it, it? At
0: the, yes he buys it at the store there's like the old woman who who shows him the motion uh, right to make right just as like a, a like you know she doesn't know what she's doing and then he replicates that and becomes uh the roger federer apparently
3: yeah yeah exactly um yeah, or like the 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 Richard Gasquet. I hope he's a French player. I I've been out of loop on tennis for for such a long time. Uh, okay, but yeah, th- that is important. So he really does show up. He's yeah, he's this weird like prodigy type person. The the lady who maybe she's strung his racket. Yeah, she's shown him like Jason said that overhead smash move, which <sighs> like even the form itself was was not great. But it's the fifties. I'm willing to give them a break. Um, and like th- there is some like there's like, there's truth in this because Tati was, I think I looked it up like last week off my, he's like six, three. So the idea that Tati would have a killer serve is like a very well-founded idea. Um, When you're taller and you serve, you get like a lot, you get more funky angles that you can, kind of integrate into your game that make the ball harder to hit as opposed to like somebody who's shorter like those angles aren't as sharp so that makes sense the thing is he's foot faulting on every serve Uh, if you go back and watch uh maybe uh, some of you eagle-eyed viewers uh caught this while you were watching the movie and then decided to listen to this podcast but he's got his foot uh on or over the baseline which is the line you serve behind he, uh, he if you foot's on the line or, or over the line when you're serving that's a foot fault means it doesn't count uh, the line judge who was you know she was a little too busy applauding him and not really watching his his foot placement um, I guess also even more impressive the lower half of his body was not integrated in his serve at all um, like we've mentioned that sort of like overhand smashing kind of swatting technique like he's trying to like zap a bug with one of those handheld bug zapper things uh, <laughs> uh, like like the fact that he developed so much power of that does allude to like prodigious strength which you know maybe is like a a mythical uh fact about this sort of comedic icon uh in cinema um and instead of belaboring the point i will say one one other thing that sort of warned my heart is you know like (sighs) we had we, we we have this tennis sequence and then we get back to the resort and these folks are, are playing ping pong i think the kid actually emulates the does, that yeah. sort of that that pizza pan motion oh, okay. um w- while playing ping pong and he he you know there's a little bit of continuation there but just like growing up pl- like spending umpteen hours like playing tennis like at clubs that more often than not had a ping pong table like if you if you played a lot of tennis, you probably played a lot of ping pong growing up. That was just a like a beautiful little, uh, a beautiful little, uh, I don't know, just a nice little nugget um, that uh, that boosted this movie a little bit for me, and and added to that sort of vibe energy that Harry mentioned. I I, had, I noted that as well. It's like wow, like the beach, the the sports, the music. What's better than this?
0: Cody, are you saying that uh, I'm not familiar with tennis too much? Are you saying that you can't lift your feet when you're serving? You can, so as
3: long as like you can jump uh, when you serve or like, you know, not like leap, but just kind of propel your motion upward and forward. As yeah. long as your feet are behind the line at the time when you hit the ball, uh, then it's fine. Like, you can oh, okay. like, like you could serve as long as you're behind the line and then like land in the court after the ball has been hit. You could do that. No problem.
0: Okay. Cause I was going to say, I haven't played a lot of tennis, but I have, I have played a little bit of Mario tennis and I was led to believe that. Oh you yeah. could jump that you could do, maybe do a spin, maybe even light the tennis ball on fire if you hit it at just the right moment. So
2: maybe okay, another yeah. person right. could
1: come in and help you strike the ball at the same time did you guys uh, ever play the the
2: mario <laughs> tennis on gameboy that was like a full-on rpg where you had like stats no. that developed over time because it fucking oh, wow. real dude that's yeah, amazing you like played as like this little kid who was dressed all in white because tennis and like you went to an academy where you learned how to be better at tennis and like you had rpg stats it was sorry it is was mario the there
0: where does mario uh show
2: up? i think mario is like a <laughs> professor in a, in way, yeah, but I think you're not really mario okay no no not at all you're like a, you're like this kid and and all of the other people are like japanese humans uh but also mario's there and he's teaching you <laughs> how to play tennis
0: also this older this italian
2: is, man
1: yeah this yeah. is a, a, a shonen uh tennis game with essentially mario in it?
2: exactly that yes
1: what the fuck uh you guys had more wow. to say about this
4: <laughs>
3: No, I was gonna shout out the the two tennis games I did play. Um this is like a, a rare opportunity when I can shed light on on video games. But yeah, Mario tennis for the N sixty four. Uh and then this very, very like <sighs> like lowered it wasn't like a flashy release or a flashy game by any means but hard hitter tennis for the playstation 2 um you could look it up and <laughs> look at how corny of a game it appears to be uh it was but uh logged a, a lot of fun hours playing those games uh in you know in that space
0: did you never play like the tennis mini game in grand theft auto at all
3: you never like messed never around with that? Ne- never messed around with that unfortunately
1: okay. never like Wii tennis
3: uh, I guess a little bit of we. Well, yeah, we. Everybody I, played Wii tennis. Yeah, Wii yeah, sports, that's true. Tennis? Arguably makes me less of a gamer, right? If I say like, "Oh yeah, I played Wii sports." Um, no, it just makes you is, more. of, is, a, is a, a, more of take? a geriatric? I, I yeah. want to get in
1: hot water. Uh, Anyways, we should we should probably get back to the film. I hope Harry. <laughs>
4: has oh no! I was it. just gonna
2: say like I think that that I, I'm really glad we ended up at tennis, right? Because I think that like maybe one of the main sources of like wisdom in this movie is the idea that like like there's there's something to the idea of finding out that you're ridiculous and that the world is ridiculous and how you react to that determines the sort of uh, time you're going to have which is really a great log line for vacations and for just like the human experience right is like hey like Everything's gonna gonna break down because nothing is actually like set up right, and like you're not gonna be able to put it together correctly. Like, games are arbitrary. Vacations are are meant to be dysfunctional. And like, if you can relax and you can enjoy yourself anyway, and you can have a good time, then you'll end up be having a successful vacation, and you'll end up having a successful life, right? Which is why like the end of this movie, where even though Hulot nearly burned down the entire fucking um, resort, everybody had a great time and says goodbye to him um was like really weirdly moving i felt like and um i didn't uh i didn't have like a great um understanding or relationship with all of these characters by the by the end of the movie just because like like i said i I had some trouble paying attention but like At that point, I wanted to right, like it felt like the end of a season of television rather than the end of a movie where like everybody's saying goodbye and it's like, oh, I'm going to miss these people. And it's like, I don't even know who those people are, but I miss them. And like that struck me as very vacation like and it struck me as like really communicating that message about like. Vacations are about changing something inside yourself, right? About sort of like gaining new perspective on where you are in life and like how ridiculous it all is and how brief it all is and sort of like coming to understand and accept that. And there's something about that that was like like very – I, I'm glad that I had that experience and I get to take it with me. You know, it's something I, I actually took away from the movie, just like the characters in the movie were taking it away, where it's like the themes are are sort of formally resonant in that way in a way I really appreciate.
0: Uh, I'm going to read from the end of Roger Ebert's review, Apologies, because he he touches on that very briefly. He says that like the the first time that he watched the film, uh, he kind of enjoyed it, but didn't laugh as much as he wanted to. And then he describes his increased pleasure watching the film over and over again. I'm going to paraphrase a bit here, but he says, uh, I met all the people who lo met. I, I became accustomed to their daily perambulations as he did. And I accompanied him as he blundered into a funeral and was mistaken as a mourner. And when he was accosted by a rug and when a tow rope blinked him into the sea, And continuing on, he says, uh, And then the holiday was over, and everybody began to pack and leave, and there was a hint of how lonely the coastal village would be until next summer, when exactly the same people would return to do exactly the same things. When I saw the film a second time, the the wonderful thing was it was like returning to the hotel. It wasn't like I was seeing the film again. It was like I was recognizing the people from last year. Uh, And he mentioned some of the people. And then he says, uh, when is a film so subtly and yet so completely captured nostalgia for past happiness? The movie is about the simplest of human pleasures, the desire to get away for a few days, to play instead of work to breathe in the sea air and maybe meet someone nice. It is about the hope that underlies all vacations and the sadness that ends them. And it is amused, too, that we go about our days so intently while the sea and the sky go about theirs. Damn, Because he could write every right, once in a while, man. You know? Yeah, that's a very fucking good review.
1: <laughs> I, I kind of really like that as our ending point. Did we have anything else to excise here? I, um, yeah, it's, it's one of my definitely. favorite
2: last shots of any movie. Um, I just tweeted it on the Trilove account, so go check that out if you if you want. What
0: was it? But for someone who's not on Twitter, what was the shot?
2: Um, it's the empty park bench in in front of the ocean, and then the stamp, like a postcard, appears oh, yes, in the upper yes. right hand yes. corner. So fucking. I, I was dope. gonna
3: say like kind of big Moonrise Kingdom energy, but then I couldn't remember if that like actually echoed the last shot of Moonrise Kingdom. But uh, anyways, Moonrise Kingdom. There's also a beach think- in that movie. Yeah.
2: Wes Anderson (laughs) owes a ton to Tati, like a ton. So it makes sense.
3: Perhaps everything. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's a good point. Great. Well,
1: uh, thank you then very much for listening to this episode of Try Love about uh, Monsieur Hulot's Holiday, Monsieur Holidays Hulot. You can catch it at the Trilon DCP showing of eighty some minutes. Right, there were two cuts of
3: this. Yeah. What are you doing?
2: I wasn't gonna say anything. I, I I didn't know if he actually forgot. Oh my god, Jason! <laughs> oh my god! god. <laughs> oh my I god! Can <laughs> I don't even, I don't even, this is horrible. I don't even deserve, I can't I don't even that deserve. this happened.
1: Whoa! I,
2: I'll sing it myself I this time, Jason. Yeah, I think. I'm just
1: gonna I'm gonna say this one out. Harry, you take it away. Yeah, that's
2: fine. Um, well, unfortunately, you know, I, our super producer is the best in the business, but just, he is just take is just still take us human. To it. Uh, everybody makes mistakes sometimes. He had forgotten about this segment, which we like to call <gasps>
3: Cody's Noties. Thank you, and you know what? It, it sounds like we all need a, a nice little holiday, which uh, I'll, I'll do my best to make happen here as we indulge in a little, a uh, little bit of trilibs today. Uh, for those unaware, trilibs is our attempt at sort of recreating the uh, world famous. Uh, probably world-famous game known as Mad Libs, which takes a story, has some blanks that need to be filled in by participants um, using, you know, vocabulary, parts of speech, etc. So what I've done here is I've sculpted uh, a sort of story that's been inspired by the movie we watched and just finished talking about, uh, there are some uh, some spaces that need to be filled. So in the order uh, that was predetermined, ra- threw everybody's names into like a random order generator. So in the order of Harry, Aaron, and Jason, sort of on a loop, then I will collect these pieces of information. And by the end of it, we will hopefully have... Uh, you know, uh, a a little uh, a little chunk of paradise that we can all bask in uh, and recalibrate our our minds as far as uh, you know uh, how we operate within the world or, or on an episode of a podcast or or anything else. So, without further ado, uh, Harry, could I please get from you a vacation destination, Perry? That's Perry for, for Americans. Sorry. Oh, yeah, Perry okay. in Perry. No, no, that's perfect. The hit um, Amazon show. That's right. Uh, if Amazon Aaron, wants to
2: send me to Paris to do a show, I'm very down. I would even work with Bezos for that. So hit me up, Jeff Bezos, Jesus. I guess. Uh,
3: I guess clip that for later. Uh, Aaron, could I please get from you a the name of a town or city? If you say gun, I, mean, I swear to God. Well, no, I mean,
0: Harry said Paris. uh <laughs> I don't know what's a fucking French coastal city. Someone, someone, help me out here. Can I? Can I get a? Can I, get a yeah. hand to Jason. You got something? St. Cloud, No, not St. Cloud. Burgundy. Bur- G-
2: you didn't think of Normandy?
1: No, I didn't. <laughs> Bur- Bur- we are in some kind of way today.
3: I'm not. I'm not worldly. Bur- Burgundy. Did I hear that correctly? I have no idea what I'm talking Burgonia. about. Burgundy.
1: Bur- <laughs> Burgone. Bur- Burgone. Just say Burgone.
3: Burgone. I'll, I'll do my best. Jason, could I uh, please get from you a month? Um. Januar. <coughs> you menaces to society. Uh, Harry, could I please get from you uh, an adjective?
2: Um.
3: Menacing. Brilliant! Should have known Oops. that was coming. Uh, Aaron, could I please get from you a type of vehicle? Um, uh, uh,
0: one of those. Uh, one of those uh, hamster cars. What? Uh, what the fuck? A uh, Scion. Uh, Scion is a
3: Scion the hamster car. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, I think I got uh, what I need. Uh, Jason, from yeah. you, could I please get an emotion? Shame. All right.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I know those throats make me cry, but I'm I'm laughing. Uh, Harry, could I please get a type of weather? Stormy. Brilliant. Uh, do, do 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 Aaron. Uh, now, could I get from you, Aaron, please, the name of a Try Love co-host? There are four that you can choose from. Cody. <gasps> all right Cody, can i also uh,
0: change my previous car to a kia soul not the absolutely kia not. Soul. absolutely not absolutely okay thank well, you very much I for the hug question it's myself. a
3: very good question it's locked in there's not a whole lot i can do <laughs> uh, jason could i please get from you the name of a video game character
2: um uh, this is a pretty <laughs> tough one for jason i don't know a lot of pressure um, i realize
1: Uh, can you get Travis Touchdown from No More Heroes?
3: All right. Uh, from what was that again?
1: A video game called No More Heroes. Brilliant.
2: Can you guys think of any French video game characters?
0: David Cage? I really would prefer not to.
3: <laughs> David Cage. Uh, I thought Emily and Paris was based off a video game. Is it? Uh, Harry, could I get from you the name of a different Trial of Co-host?
2: Oh, Cammy. Uh, Cammy from Street Fighter. She doesn't host the show, but um, oh, uh, right. Jason.
3: righty then, uh, Aaron. From you, could I please get a brand of alcohol?
0: Uh, Literally, Drambuie. can you ship me one? Drambuie. Okay,
3: sorry. I I cut you off twice in a row. Can you say it a third time?
0: Uh, Drambuie. Dram. I'm phonetically
3: spelling it out because I don't know how to spell that. Uh, is that Dramamine
1: and kombucha combined? Oh, Ooh. I hope so.
3: No, Drambuie
0: is a uh, like a whiskey liqueur.
2: Uh, Cam- Cammy is British, y'all, not French. I'm sorry. Don't at me. I don't know I, enough about Street Fighter. Apologies to all of our French uh, listeners z- and our British my- listeners, actually. Abel Abel from uh, from Street Fighter Four, not the dog. Uh, there you is go. French though. I do remember that because he's pretty he's pretty fun to play as.
1: Uh, that, Shang-Chi from saga, Mortal Kombat wh- is French.
3: <laughs> this has been a play in three acts in a way that I did not <laughs> expect. Um, <laughs> Jason, uh, uh, Jason, you you co-host a, a movie podcast uh, that's Crossfade. Uh, y'all should listen to that. Could I please get from you, Jason, the name of a band or musical artist?
1: Um, Neil Young.
2: All of the musical artists in the world, huh?
3: <laughs> Gotta stick to the classics. <laughs> Or something. Uh, where are we now? Uh, I believe it is Harry's turn. Harry, could I please get from you uh, the name of a previous Try Love guest?
2: Emily Sui.
3: Emily Sui. Uh, Aaron, could I get from you the the name of a like a type of uh, a type of award or like an award guild, if that makes sense?
0: Um an award guild an award guild i mean up. you just want me to say oscars here i don't the academy awards what? i guess
2: the, the brotherhood of <laughs> steel
0: the golden Joyce ste- yeah berries, <laughs> golden
3: berries
2: yeah
0: the yeah, golden yeah. berries actually yeah give it the golden oh berries. way
3: better way better um uh, that's that one hadn't been locked in so i will uh uh re-enter you that can't do perfect the soul, though okay no, that's uh, no, that's long been put in concrete. Uh, Jason, could I please get from you the name of a sport? Tennis. Oh wait, <gasps> and Harry- has it been has what? it been edged, it-
1: Has it been edged in stone?
3: No, the the concrete is is uh, is at the precipice. It hasn't been poured in yet. Do you have another one? Ooh, uh,
1: right before it drops in, I'm going to snatch out tennis and I'm going to say squash. Put squash right in there. <laughs>
3: Perfect. Uh, Harry, could I please get from you a year? 1969. <laughs> uh, Jason, if you want to clip that as well. Um, uh, Aaron. Oh, oh, perfect, thank you. And Aaron, please, the name of a different previous Try Love guest. Uh,
0: listen, last time I did Nick Grossman.
3: Um, That's where I seem to be
2: Matt Yost.
3: Okay, Matt and
2: guys, I forgot yeah. that Glass Joe from Punch Out is French, which is very funny. Oh, if uh, you name <laughs> one French French more French video
3: game
0: character, if you name <gasps> one more French video game character,
2: he's yeah, got the, the, Wikipedia the main character article. from uh, from Assassin's Creed Unity. That that one takes place I, in France. That
0: is also yes. I
3: guess he is French. For, I think it's Arnaud, be, Dorian, right? Apollo's ethically. I'm just imagining for comedic effect, Harry in a separate tab, he just has the Wikipedia article for French video game characters up and he's just going to trickle them in. I
2: don't. There There is no Wikipedia page, but uh-huh. I did find the top 10 best French video interesting game that, characters. Interesting
3: that you know there's no Wikipedia article, you little <laughs> scamp.
2: Also, there is. Uh-huh. Fictional French people in video games, Wikipedia. <laughs> I'm <in it> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, oh. oh, Widowmaker. Widowmaker from uh, fucking Uh, um, Overwatch. I forgot she was French, but she has that ridiculous accent, so that makes sense.
3: (laughs) We should just make cheat Codys probably, huh? Probably. Um, uh, I believe we're over to Jason now. Um, The Oh, are we not done? I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, Jason, the name of a different Trial of Co-host, if you would please. I think there are two remaining.
1: Uh, I know. Oh, I I forgot who's already been given. Um, Uh, You and me. Oh, okay. Uh, Aaron. Thanks, bud. Wow! Um, All right. Well, Harry stole turned turned our uh, hit single into a hit solo project, so I have to um, I have to find retribution for that somehow.
3: Well, that's okay. I, I, well, I, again, we're talking about coming full circle. Harry, could I please get from you the name of a yet again a different Try Love co-host? <laughs> uh, Chaco. Uh, I already typed it in. Uh. N- uh, ooh, uh, ooh, uh, uh um, Chaco. Why oh, she get him on the pod? Um. All right. I'm I'm starting the the chunky car. Uh, back up here. Um. If Jason wants to put in sound effects while my brain starts churning again, he can. Otherwise, I would not blame him. I think we're at Aaron now. Aaron, could I please? We're we're almost done. By the way, <laughs> Aaron. Uh, the name of it or not the name of an animal, just an animal, please. A type of animal. Uh, peregrine falcon. Hera Grandfell. <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude! <laughs> wow, yeah, honestly, great choice. Uh, My Jason, side of the mountain. Uh, uh, Jason, a number, if you please. Sixty-eight. Excellent. Uh, Harry, uh, another year, if you would please. Or same year. Doesn't really matter. Whatever you want.
2: Eighteen sixty-nine.
3: Christ Almighty! Uh, all right, Aaron. Um, uh, sort of an intermediate uh, one, but could I please get from you a, a a sound effect? You can either describe it or you can do it. Boy! Excellent. And finally, last, uh, and I guess in this case, least as well. Uh, actually, no, not least. I misunderstood what least meant um, for a second. Jason, the name, the name of a movie. Playtime. Excellent, and we're nearing the end of our playtime here with this uh, this little game we like to call Trilibs. Uh, I believe I filled out all the spaces. If not, that'll be a funny thing to run into later. Um, but until that point, uh, without further ado, this is Trilibs Holiday. <clears throat> the annual trip to Perry is the greatest event of the year for myself and for the entire town of Bergone, or sorry, Bergona. I'm going to hell every January. We carpool to our destination this year. I drove myself in my menacing. One of those hamster cars, everybody was so shamed to arrive, uh, to arrive that they immediately fled their vehicles in a rush to soak up the storm. Many folks took to their boats, uh, or rather took their boats out onto the water. My buddy Cody spent some time tending to their boat, which they named Travis touchdown from no more heroes. <laughs> <laughs> As is the case with any group vacation, there were, there were of course, some conflicts. For example, Jason had a little too much drambuie our first night and proceeded to loudly sing Neil Young songs all through the night. That uh, sounds crazy. Right. Yeah, Emily Sui also did some damage. Little did we know that uh, that they won the Golden Berry for Squash back in 1969. They were so good that nobody else wanted to play for the rest of the vacation. Um, Emily Sui is an athlete, so that, that checks That's out. That's true, yeah. Uh, The biggest scandal of the trip was when Matt Yost, sorry, Matt, uh, got caught peeping in on Aaron when they were taking a shower. This, of course, came after Harry tried to preach Marxism to us when we were riding peregrine falcons on the beach.
2: That's right, baby.
3: (laughs) Great vacation. Still, I wouldn't trade this holiday for anything, not even $68. On the last night, as we've done during every holiday since 1869, (laughs) we all gathered in in the main hall of the resort to watch a movie. I grabbed the best seat in the house in the middle of the back row. The lights dimmed. The projector made a boing noise, and the image of playtime came into view. A perfect end to a perfect holiday. The end. Wow! A perfect end. Wow! To a perfect, a perfect, perfect end phase.
2: to a perfect episode of this podcast.
3: Uh, and holy hell, do
2: I hope we get to have that in real life?
1: Whoa! Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't Spirit it be? No- oh, that's not nearly enough. <laughs> Let's go to the beach. Uh, Okay, well, I can finally... Well, do I even deserve... I do. Uh, this is this has been our episode about Monsieur Hulot's Holiday, a 1953 film by Jacques Tati. It's playing as part of a Jacques Tati series at the Trilon. You can get tickets at Trilon.org. Uh, look for our episodes on further Tati films. We're going to pick and choose which ones we're going to do, but uh, the next few weeks are going to be shock full of them. So listen in. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. You can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. You can find our show at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Twitter. You can find the Twitter. You can find the Trilon at trial on cinema across all social media um i'm sorry that's a poor throw but that's a throw to cody
3: that's okay hey I, I still caught it uh don't be so hard on yourself big daddy uh if you're listening take it easy on jason uh he makes too many of these damn podcasts uh so give him a break he he's long overdue for a vacation i think uh, but i've been cody narvison and you can find me on twitter at cody underscore BH.
2: i would also like to go on vacation though i am far less deserving i've been harry you can find me on twitter at shiitake harry
0: I'm Aaron, uh, you can find me on the beach I got a big, I got a drink It's like a. It's like an orange beverage of some sort It's got a little umbrella I'm really playing the Christmas space word. Aaron,
2: keep it going, yeah
0: Just... uh, You can find me on Twitter, although I am also on vacation from Twitter You can find me on Twitter at No Arden you're
3: Twitter. not!
0: I am, I've not been, a- it's been a long time No, no cell phone uh, reception at this uh, beachfront uh, resort. Sorry.
3: All right, and uh, a little note to go out on here. I beg to dream and differ from the hollow lies. This is the dawning of the rest of our lives on holiday.